welcome to the Fracture Line, the official weekly news feed from the Chest Wall Injury Society, where we will listen to all the bottom line CWIS updates, shoutouts, fun facts, and weekly banner. I'm your host, Dr. Mark Crisco, and I'm joined always by Dr. Tom White, Dr. Adam Kay, and Sarah Ann Whitbeck. Welcome back to Fracture Line, everybody. We're really excited to have on a Dr. Alan Race. He's one of our newest members. Dr. Race, welcome. Tell us a little bit about yourself, where you are right now, and what your practice is like. Uh, yeah, so I'm, as you say, Alan. Um, I'm a critical care consultant, and, and I'm, I'm an anaesthetist too, or anesthesiologist. Um, and I'm also a pain consultant, um, which I mean, that's a, it's sort of quite an odd combination, really, critical care and, and pain. But um, I'll kind of like explain how that happened. So I originally trained down south in London. Um, I was at King's College Hospital. Uh, I did a trauma fellowship there and had the great pleasure of working with people like Kate Pryor, um, who's also a great friend. Um, and they always wanted me to work down in London and be a King's consultant. But um, I sort of had some stuff happen, family stuff, where my sister died and you know, my mum was really ill. And I kind of, I, I realised that I wasn't seeing people that I really love and care about and, or seeing them so infrequently. And I decided to move up north and back up north. And I have to say, it's it's definitely the right decision for me because I, I, I sort of happened serendipitously upon this hospital, which is, which is Hull, um, which is a major trauma centre. And I met some amazing people and it's a great place. It's a kind of, it's a sort of underdog hospital within the north of England. It's, it's a hospital that is kind of at the end of a line. Um, it's often sort of berated by um, other hospitals, but actually you've got some amazing people here who do an awful lot with very little. And that is what I'm driven by. I don't want to just fit into a job that anybody could fit into, you know, clever people. I wanted something where my value would would be recognised by just going in and, and helping. And, and this project with the pain is one kind of example. So, you know, I met loads of people like Tom Callum, who, who is the lead for trauma. And he's a, he is like he's been a wonderful mentor and he's a great friend as well. And he has the same ideology uh, as me, which he wants to help disadvantaged people in an, in an area which is a kind of underdog place and sort the kind of in-house stuff out and, and get and get things going and moving. So um, I, I also have a physics PhD. I did a theoretical physics PhD. And I'm also now doing an MSc in statistics applied to health. So um, I, I, I love maths and I kind of miss maths and I kind of try and make everything that I do as kind of statistical as possible. I've been very fortunate here because everybody has backed me. Do you know what I mean? If you're passionate and you've got good ideas, you'll let everybody go, how can we make it happen for you? And that's kind of what I love about Hull. Um, and, you know, we were working on empty, really. We had nothing. Um, generating this pathway, this rib fracture pathway, it's been hard work. It, we started it in the middle of COVID, but I've managed to win hearts and minds and get everybody together. And now everybody believes in it. I'm curious about this, uh, this rib fracture pathway that you guys are working on. Can you uh, elaborate a little bit on that? It, it sounds very uh, intriguing. So the background is we have patients that are, the, 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 a large chunk of them are elderly and they fall from height. They're what we call the silver trauma patients. And we found that, or we were desperate, um, that the, uh, you know, people were desperate because patients were coming in often, they'd get, a paramedic crew would give them things like ketamine and morphine, they'd be absolutely bonny and comfortable, they'd be, you know, like breathing okay, and then that's all right in ED, but then they go to the ward, 
and often these patients are kind of they are sort of elderly high on antihypertensives polypharmacy they've got they've got renal impairment so then everybody's terrified about what to do with this patient in pain and we we hear we, we would have anecdotes of patients in absolute abject agony and not getting anything apart from IV paracetamol and and 2.5 milligrams of oromorph which is like what would you so so it was about kind of really getting everybody together looking at the best evidence working out how to create a opioid sparing escalation process that would look at their patient factors you know things like so uh, i used the um, battle which i was really super like super excited to meet her at the conference so uh, Keris battle who was there whose work i know inside out because she, she her multivariate analysis really formed the bedrock of what i've done so it was about finding that patient as they present and then making sure that there was a a really really strong what if what if what if and then allowing particularly junior doctors on the ward a kind of way of escalating things and knowing what to do if things weren't working so i use battles um uh kind of multivariate analysis and I, I essentially did the combinatorics of all her risk factors within that thing and came up with bandings which were if you have less than 10 percent chance of having respiratory embarrassment or chance of going on for a pneumonia then i would class you as relatively low risk and things like like being younger than 65 a good cough which were all things that are featured. They're all common sense things, really, if you if you look at them. But she's she's added the statistics to it to make it cogent, so people like us can go, ah, oh, this has some credence. So no lung parenchymal injury, unilateral fracture, and a Prince Henry Hospital pain score, which I'll talk about later on, um, below one. Then that would put you at low risk. So then we would in, it, that would trigger a systemic analgesia pathway, and it will give you everything that we think that this patient should be on because it's safe to do so, okay? And then what would the, the intermediate risk factors would be any of these pre present. So all of those were all present, as in rule you out. Any present, which would be over 65, rib fractures not more than three, pre-existing lung condition, a poor cough, a pain score of more than two, or obesity. And we added that in. That's not actually in... Um, her original multivariate analysis, but we thought obesity and these factors are probably something that would would um, likely interact. And then we said high risk, any of these, anticoagulant loose, flail segment, bilateral injury, hemothorax and lung parenchymal injury, and obstructive sleep apnea. Now, these were two um, um, kind of for um, how you would nurse patients. Where should they be? If you're in low risk, we'd agree that you're probably not likely to get pneumonia, so you can probably go to a ward. Intermediate risk, we would want some further follow-up and someone to come and see you and maybe look at putting a block in. And then high risk, we would mandate everybody has a block. But the important thing to the actual, the passport, is that it, well, the thing that overarches it is the pain score. Because pain is subjective and you could have one rib fracture and be in absolute agony and it needs escalating. You don't want to just on that, of, uh, 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 that number alone of one rib fracture, you don't want to just dismiss what they have because that could still potentially make them kind of have a pneumonia. Um, and, but it, it kind of overarches everything, the pain score.
So that w- that's, the es- that's the main escalator, the pain. If you're in abject agony, irrespective of any of these things, we need to sort you out. We're at Whole recently. Um, Dr. Um, Cowan was so gracious in sharing the, um, one of his paper copies and said he would also email us a copy um, so we can share that as part of our resources for the website. So I will shortly, um, or soon, I will have the electronic copy that I can share with everyone as well because it does look like a terrific um, a terrific resource that I think all of our members would, would really benefit from. I think, I think they've that, spent that, so much time and energy, oh, yeah. um, like Dr. Race mentioned, just so much energy really hammering this out and, and doing a great job. I, I think, you know, the more people we can get looking at it, the better. So, the, so you know, but the pain score, I know it's, I keep going back to it, but it's, it is a, it, pain is, it, you know, if you give someone, if you, we all know a story of like, you know, Phyllis, she's sat there, she's got multiple rib fractures. You ask her if she's in pain and she goes, oh no, no, no doc. And then you go, oh, what happens if you kind of reach over to get your kind of glass of water? And she goes, oh, I can't do that. And you go, why can't you do that? It's because I'm in so much pain from my rib fractures. And <coughs> people just don't, they don't, you know, they just sit there and they don't do anything about it. But what you need is you need, you need to remove the qualitative and make it quantitative by having things like pain with this, pain with that, which is a physical thing. And all of the things within the pain score correlate with your ability to be able to be physioed and mobilized. So it's kind of like, you know, if, you, if you've got severe pain at rest, which is a score of four, from your rib fractures, you're gonna get pneumonia. You're not gonna get out of bed. You're gonna be in hell, aren't you? And that needs dealing with. Now, one is pain on movement, or mild pain on movement, or coughing, but not deep breathing. You need to deep breathe to reduce your risk of getting pneumonia. So these are all, re- these are sensible things, but what they do is they remove that kind of like linear scale thing of which could be kind of one person's pain next to another person's pain and could be misinterpreted and therefore, you know, people go, oh, I'm in agony. And it's like, well, what does that mean? Are you in agony doing this or that? Can you get out of bed? Well, I can get out of bed. And it's like, okay, hang on. I'm not going to give you a load of opiates if you're functionally doing everything. But you're, you, you know, you, you, it's not the function itself per se that's causing you agony. So it allows you to titrate things to effect, really. So we're finding it's great lingua franca. So people on the wards now will say, They'll call up the pain team and go, uh, they've got a Prince Henry Hospital pain score of four. I think they need a block. But the other, I just want to talk about that the, the pathway itself was such a truly MDT kind of um, thing. It was, it was, we had everybody involved, theatres. I mean, I, I talk about the curmudgeonly anaesthetist who at first would not entertain having these patients like being brought into theatre. They were like, why are you doing this? No, no. And then slowly with time, showing them that they, they, this really does work. It's just brought everybody together. And now everybody wants to help rib fractures in the trust, pretty much. You know, there's not a single person that would argue that what this has done is improved patient care. And the physiotherapists, again, who are phenomenal, they are so into this because they see patients that have been in agony, sitting there splinting, not able to do anything, and then come back from theatre a different person, smiling, kind of like engaging, able to do stuff. So, you know, we, we're really proud of it. So uh, that, that's fantastic. I, I love that approach to rib fracture pain. And, and I just, I'm, I'm truly amazed by that. 
are you guys doing anything for these patients then uh, once they leave the hospital and then they're, you know, back out in, in society? Are you seeing them um, more on a chronic basis and then also doing blocks and, and additional pain control for them 10 weeks down the road, eight weeks down the road, six weeks down the road? I, I think that's a really important point, actually. And it's kind of touched on stuff that, you know, I believe in that, that you know, getting the stress response under like under moderate control is so fundamental to this to stop wind up and stop problems down the line i have to say it's really difficult because we have such stretch resources um that that would be an interesting thing to do because our acute pain and chronic pain are very very closely tied and it might be worth uh, at some point having a look at these and following them up and i would love to do that but again you you know i don't know what it's like in america but the NHS is data rich and information poor and there is so much data in just vast sort of excel spreadsheets or whatever around and none of it is interpreted and it's just left in this kind of cyberspace doing this sort of stuff is not easy even doing this alone and 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 doing because we're we're prospectively auditing this stuff um and our and our behaviors and things like that and and even just doing that is really tricky because we, you know, we have, we've got, and they're phenomenal. We've got, we've got four um, trauma coordinators for a trust that is huge. It's, it's probably about the same size as King's College, and they have loads. You know, we have a pain service which is on its knees, and you know, sometimes we have to miss afternoon sessions of the pain team, like the pain nurses, the senior pain nurses, because there's just no one to cover that session. Um, so we, I mean, like anything, we would love more nurses. We'd love more. We'd love research nurses. We'd love all that kind of infrastructure. But at the moment, we're, we we don't really have that. Um, but what's exciting is so being part of CWIS, you know, there's a, an opportunity for some research, and um, I think that research begets research, and it could start snowballing really exciting stuff at home. Like my, my, uh, the lead for anesthetics has come to me and said, look, I see what you're doing and I really want to support everything. I want to, I want anything that you can, you want as a resource, as in from anesthetics and critical care, I will provide. If you need a room, if you need this, I will give it you. What you can't afford at the moment is for instance, a research nurse and somebody that could do that kind of work. But I think it's bright things are coming. And I think, you know, through you guys and the connections that we have, it sort of gives gravity to to what we're doing. It gets out there. It puts Hull on the map. And at the end of the day, I think it's a huge service for the local communities. So I think watch this space. I think I think it is something that we could potentially do, and especially some of the ideas from the research that we're thinking about, which is a pain research project. Um, I think that it wouldn't be that difficult to then start following patients up on the coattails of that research. So, yeah, I think um, I think it's a, I think it's a great idea. Well, Alan, welcome to the society. We we can always use more polymaths and <laughs> lo- logo files and Mark. Give me, give me, Mark, give me. Mark, I'll explain curmudgeon and lingua franca to you later. Um, Please, pleasure to have you aboard. Tell us briefly Go how Seawis came to you, or how did you meet Seawis? Tell us your story with us. The, so there's someone called Mike Gooseman at Hull who hat off to. He's um, he's doing a really great job of moving things forward. Um, shall we say? He's a thoracic surgeon, and um, he was leading the Orif 
kind of sentinel point that Hull is. And through that, he then got recognition by you guys. So you guys were could recognise that there was somebody that was really working quite hard and, and to, to get things and, and improve Hull's thoracic sort of um, environment. And so he came to me because he'd heard of the success. So there is, so thoracics and major trauma, it's that kind of, because it's spaced at a different site, it often means that, so the, the, the policy only really applies to Hull Royal, which is one site. So thoracics is a different site. So, but he could see how wonderful this was working over at Hull Royal and the improvements that were being made. And so he wants us to interpret that over into thoracics. So, so generically, I mean, how we do that and how we dovetail that into, into thoracics is, is another thing. But um, so he was su he was really excited about the whole thing, and he just he basically said, "Would you come and present what you've done?" And and I said, "Of oh, sure, it's it's a fabulous idea." And from it, as I said, research project, both Leeds teaching hospitals and Sheffield are interested in using this pathway, which is amazing. Um, and you know, I just think being part of this is a hugely important for whole. I really do. I don't think you can underestimate how important this could be um, for us as as a teaching hospital being part of your your kind of society and all the kind of connections that we can get and all the the, the sort of advice and the the you know the meetups and and how we can bring that energy to home one of the things i'd like to mention is the choice of block we use because i think that's quite important because there's a lot of stuff around it and and you know erector spiny you know paravertebral epidural versus serratus anterior and i I can do all of those. I love a thoracic epidural. They're brilliant, you know, and I will put them in, I'll get them in. And, and you know, if it, particularly if you've got widespread injuries, you know, there's nothing finer to, as I say, moderate the stress response. We know this. You're, you're, you're sort of, um, you're, you're ablating some of the, you know, your um, uh, sympathetic chain. It reduces that wind up, that stress that you can have now. Why do we choose a serratus anterior plane block? It's because it is such an easy block to do. And it, you need or you don't need to position the patient. You can mo in most patients you can get the arm up, right? We do a standardized approach, which is nipple to um, latissimus dorsi, find the and do an, uh, a um, superficial approach and put a big dollop of a local anesthetic in that space, you know, maybe 30, as much as you can get in for, for their body weight. And it works and it work, It does work for both anterior and posterior rib fractures. Um, you know, we could, we could make a, a rectospiny block the, the, the key or, or the, the first line, but actually you've got to position the patients and often they're polytrauma. They've got, you might have, might have a hip fracture as well as everything. You can't move them. And actually, you're only a centimetre away from the midline. And, you know, in a trauma patient, that is something that is not without risk. And I think you would, you're much less likely to get someone or to train someone to do that than you are this. Because I'm getting, we have a certain set of nurses who are kind of advanced practitioners. And we've got governance out for, for anyone to be able to do this who has advanced practice and can prescribe. So that means you've got this massive team of people within the hospital that could, could deliver the service. And I've shown that they work. So our pain scores, um, I've, done a, I've done an analysis of 50 patients, standardised kind of care pre and post. One day, the day before insertion, 
they would have a pay, on average, uh, the medium would be a pain score of four, and it drops down to a pain score of one. So that's just from a serratus anterior pain block, right? And there's a lot of naysayers out there because the science is a bit ropey. I get it. You know, it's a, it's a it's a field block. It's an infiltration block. Most of it probably seeps into the into the disrupted tissues and gets into around the periosteum and things like that if you put a big enough volume in. And that's I think how they work. So and they're brilliant. They work really well. And anybody can I, I put it to anybody anybody who's got. Um, clinical skills, um, you know, doctor, senior nurse, you can put them in. Alan, how often, no. how often do you do them? I mean, in a given patient, is it a Q12 hour block? Is it a 24 hour oh, block? Oh, no, no, so no, we, put, we leave a catheter in, right? So I put a, okay. big, put a big, big dollop in, and then we've got these uh, these relatively cheap elastometric pumps. Elastomer pumps, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and what they do is they just, they just shrivel down and they deliver five mils an hour. Now, it's not a lot of local, but when you put a big dollop in, it's just the clearance of the local in that, in that tissue plane. So we find that we can get 10 days out of them but you change the elastometric pumps every three days. Cheap, cheap, cheap. It's, you know, relatively, you don't have an epidural pump. You don't have to have that all set up with it beeping and whirring and filling it with whatever. Just a pump and you change it every three days and they work really well. Have you used them in the post-op setting? Um, we, we, yes, in fact, we have. There was one page, because we haven't actually done that many ORFs, as you know. Um, but we had one patient where they did an ORF and, and it was inserted immediately after. And it works. It did work. They really did. Yeah, we, we need to do that study because I think there's a reticence amongst many surgeons to have that indwelling catheter in there for yeah. Yeah. next to our hardware for a few days. I'm, I'm not convinced it adds any significant risk, but we yeah. need to prove that. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about doing that study. Sarah Ann, do you have any updates for the week for yeah. real? We have a webinar coming up this week about incision planning. Don't miss it. It will be great. Um, then also this this upcoming week we have um, a, we actually have a really big week, uh, friends. The AAST is happening, and we will be having a get together on Thursday night. So if you are in Chicago and you um, are thinking to yourself, oh my gosh, I can't possibly miss out on this event. You are correct, you cannot. Um, if you have not registered, let me know, shoot me a note, we'll get you registered, um, just so that we for sure have, have plenty of food and lots of fun, it will be great. Um, we also, at the AAST, I wanna give a quick shout out. I know Dr. Er uh, Everett Erickson is doing um, a lunchtime uh, presentation. I can't remember exactly which day, but, but glance through the, uh, program, you can see that one. I know Dr. Adam Shiroff is giving a presentation on Saturday. I remember that about chest wall injury. Um, I think there are a couple others that I just am not thinking of off the top of my head, but I went through the agenda. An email will come out that has a breakdown of all chest wall injury information at the AAST. So if you're actually attending, um, be sure to uh, attend posters and sessions of our members and cheer them on. Maybe bring a big foam finger if you have one to uh, specifically, you know, call them out. That would be great. And, um, you know, maybe a big sign that says like, we love our CWIS friends. I don't know, think it over. Um, as far as things later in the month, we have our trainee uh, virtual networking event. So um, if you are a trainee, residents, fellows, med students, etc., feel free to sign up. Um, or if you work with any, please send them my way. <clears throat> that will be super fun. And then we have just a whole gaggle of things going on in October. I would specifically call out November 16th, the November Forum. 
um, disaffectionately titled the NOFO um, is uh, November 16th. It will be a full day from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. Mountain Time. So there's no excuse for not participating because it covers all time zones in a convenient way. That that is is the love bomb from the program committee is that they will be working a solid 12 hours um, to bring you see with goodness content um, in whatever time zone works best for you so um, we will have two uh, live fracture line recordings so dr white be sure to have your earbuds in that day that's a that's a shout out for you and um, we'll have two webinars we have two case reviews let's see we have some great debates going on we should have a full day planned so please put wednesday november 16th on your calendar and join for as much as as you possibly can because it is going to be a really terrific day and that is a awesome. batch of updates strong yeah. work sarah ann well let's move on to the final stitch who's got some stuff who's got stuff on their mind here we got three three quick ones i may or may not be stoned right now there's a balcony that's literally five <laughs> feet away from me and the guy's puffing away and i think i'm i think i'm i'm think i'm stoned so um it's been a long time since I've felt that way, but I think this is what, that's, that's what I feel. Where's that bag of Doritos? Secondly, deli absolutely delighted Dr. Race is on board. I'm really, really, really excited about the potential for doing some quality pain research as it relates to rib fractures. We haven't had a, a true champion in that in that space, and I think maybe we found one, and I'm really excited to see what we can do. All right, that's all I got. See you guys. Two. First one. Uh, an article came out saying that Utah drivers, this is, this is actually a Ford's, uh, Forbes advisory study, saying that Utah drivers are the most confrontational in the nation. You guys, not what you would expect from quiet little Utah, but Utah drivers, we can do better, right? We can do better. So step it up. That or, you know, own your title. I don't know. One way or another, yeah. let's let's go you know either go big or go home i haven't really decided um and my second one for my final stitch i um noticed today is national well i received an, an email about it from another organization but today is national day of encouragement so you know if if you need that then like for me to you keep it going you got this like you're you're rocking it and whatever you're doing today you should know that i think you're fantastic you're welcome i've got two if I may, right? It's not as sort of heartfelt and deep as that. Um, number one, I'm in a room. I wish you could see it now with loads of electronic equipment. Maybe at the next, uh, maybe at the, ne the next meeting, I could DJ for us. I think that'd be pretty cool. That's one. Um, the second thing is I'd like to thank two nurses who have worked super amazingly hard at Hull Royal because the passport wouldn't have been tweaked and and sorted out without someone called Claire Eastwood who presented at the symposium. She, I am so wild and energetic and sometimes I need reining in a little bit. Do you know what I mean? I need, I need someone to sort of go, oh, shush, shush, just, just, just put your head, put your lid on. And Claire is that person. She's demure. She's calm. She just goes, Alan, I think you might be overacting now. I know it's not quite up to your standard. However, Let's just like rein it in a bit. So there's that one. And then there's Tracy Dennison, who is the kind of, she was one of the trauma coordinators who would drag patients kicking and screaming to theatre. She would not on her shift let anyone not have a block if it was indicated. So she would go, we will find theatre space. This is going to happen. And it's people like that that make things move forward. Anyway, that's it. That's my joke.
you can express your gratitude to those two fine um, ladies by underwriting their plane tickets to <laughs> I love it. Your team did it. Zach, great. you got one? Yeah, I do. So, you know, talking to Dr. Race, which by the way was fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us today. But it just takes me back to uh, to a little uh, teenage crush of mine, uh, Emma Burton, Baby Spice from the Spice Girls, Across the Pond. I tell you what I want, what I really, really want. Tell me what you want, what you really want. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I used to have the biggest crush on her back in the day. It just made me think of that. Just uh, And my heart was full. Without oh being offensive, you might want to Google it now. <laughs> oh my God. Well, you know what I did this morning that was fun? Yeah, I want to give a shout out to a company, actually. Kids Ride Shotgun. It's a seat that you put on your mountain bike. Kids can sit on it, and it's, like, incredible. They hold, they can hold on to your handlebars. They have their own handlebars. And, uh, it's just a really cool company. If you guys are mountain bikers out there, check it out. That's my final stitch. Hey, Alan, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Oh, my gosh. It was such a delight. Thank you. Awesome. And I'm just re- I'm really excited about everything. I think you're going to really help hope. Really-